Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Interstem Talks. Today I'm joined by Mana and Gordon. Hi, I'm Mana. I'm a rising senior at Los Altos High School, and I'm super excited to talk to you guys about uh, this this podcast session's topic. Yeah. Hey guys, it's been a really long while, and I am excited to be back. You know, I had a good summer, so right now I'm hyped, I'm energized, finally. So hopefully we can have a great podcast session today. Yeah, by the way, just as an introduction to the podcast, I guess, since it's been a little bit of a break uh, for us here at Interstem Talks, uh, what have you guys been doing during the summer? For me, it's Binging Criminal Minds. I started watching it during summer, and my God, it is an amazing show. It's great. And yeah, overall, just starting to prepare because we're all applying to college. That is, oh my goodness, that is something that's on all our minds, I'm pretty sure. So... Yeah, don't pretty intense stuff. Me, don't remind me. This is a really tough time for, I think, all of us rising seniors who are applying to colleges. It's been a struggle, but just one more semester and we're done. Yeah. It's, like, it's so hard. <laughs> I've been in Boston for a good four weeks now. I'm at a summer program. It's pretty good here. I'm enjoying it. Um, and yeah, I'm learning a lot. So how about you, Andre? Um, I've also been like trying to relax, so um, that's what I've been mostly doing in July, but then now all of a sudden these college essays are creeping up on me, and like I believe tomorrow, which um, since we're recording this podcast session a few weeks before it will be released, um, tomorrow will be August 1st, and that's when the Common App and UC applications will open to be able to like put in our information and like essays and activities and even submit. So that part is kind of scary because it's uh, just starting. Um, but all of that being said, in June, I did a, uh, a UCI and UCLA uh, program. Those are all really interesting uh, related to like medicine. And then in July, it's been really hot. How has how the weather been for you guys? Oh, it's been yeah, awful yeah. over here. Uh-huh. It's like so crazy. It's like, oh my, I can't even go on runs anymore. We're just like, dude, I, I love running. Everybody knows I love running, but dude, I can't do it in that heat. Like one time I was like, one time I was running, it's like my legs started like feeling like really hurting. I was like, that's not normal because it's supposed to be sore, not pain. And so I feel like yeah. definitely I have stopped pretty much all physical activity and I feel like every week is getting progressively worse in the summer and it's becoming a pretty big problem yeah actually not now that you mentioned of that um that's a good segue into like the first topic so I haven't even introduced what we're going to really be talking about formally today uh we want to focus on new and emerging stem fields that we think are going to be coming uh, to fruition shortly or like as as we're talking uh, they're going online um, so the first topic that I was thinking of was um, the like interdisciplinary fields between climate conservation and mechanical engineering so what I mean more specifically is I don't know if you guys you probably have heard of it um, it's in the media very often about carbon capture and different uh, machinery that is being innovated on and like refined in order to basically suck carbon out of the air and then I believe store it underground. 
there's like 19 in the world right now which is very little considering how many probably like i don't quote me but probably billions of metric tons of carbon we have in the, the atmosphere um the problem is right now it's not very feasible it's very expensive to to make these there's like massive vacuums that are like the size of huge factory buildings like in the middle of nowhere so they're kind of an eyesore too very expensive to make and the technology isn't quite ready yet but um the reason i consider it like a new and emerging field is because um there's a lot to be done in this area number one and number two if the technology has just started at this point and we already have 19 um like plants around the world i think that there's a lot more um interesting ways to <laughs> take carbon out of that atmosphere i guess um and re like remove pollutants i think it's also really interesting like people are going to be broadly talking about this in like a logistical sense like not just how do we get this technology sufficient um and like feasible but also where do we put it like do we want to put it right next to a factory or do we want to put it in the middle of like rural fresno in california or like rural south dakota like where do we want to place it i think there's a lot of questions to be unanswered here and sorry, this is me really going on a tangent here, but there's also some new like government um, things going on right now relating to to climate. And there's actually a bill right now, <laughs> interestingly titled nothing to do with climate. That, that's not the title, but the title is um, Inflation Reduction Act has nothing to do with climate, I guess. But actually half of the funds in that bill are going to go to like record um, climate funds and it's supposedly going to help um, reach goals set by the US to reduce emissions 40%, I think by 2030, um, from 20, 2005 levels. And that's actually a big deal because the goal is like 50%. So that would give us uh, a lot more leeway in actually being able to maybe meet some of those goals. Anyway, I'm going on a really long tangent here. I wanna hear what you guys think about this field. I think it's absolutely fascinating that, first of all, you can even suck carbon out of the air. I didn't know that was a thing. But it's also interesting to see how the narrative has shifted from how do we stop putting carbon in the air and to now how do we like actively remove it. So it's a lot less theoretical now. And now we're actually seeing new things like, uh, what was it called? Ca carbon capture? Yeah, carbon called? capture. Yeah. Car carbon capture. Um, and we're starting to see these physical concrete you know, factories and innovations starting to make active changes, which I think is pretty cool. Um, Wait, um, yeah, that's like really interesting. Really quick, do you know like how they do it? Cause like, do they like use like some sort of carbon magnet or something? Like how do they get it out of the air? Well, I actually don't know, but what I will do is really quickly I frantically type on my computer because I don't know the <laughs> answer. Um, let's see what Google says, actually, so that we can all kind of know. Okay, so what Google randomly showed, or like showed to me uh, on Cosmos website, I guess, Cosmos magazine, 
um, is an air stripper. Uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> an air separator strips oxygen from the atmosphere, which produces a stream of oxygen gas, and then that goes into something called a gasifier, which bakes coal at 700, 700 degrees Celsius, which is, wow, a lot. Um, and uh, releases hydrogen, carbon monoxide, uh, carbon dioxide, and steam. That's known as syngas, I think, is how you might pronounce it. And then you add water into the syngas to convert it into hydrogen and CO2. And then CO2 is dehydrated and put into a liquid form for transport and storage. So there's the very long explanation that I just bs by looking at google dang okay so that's actually pretty cool because like you can like make it liquid and that'll be easier because i thought they were like grabbing just like gas which was a lot harder than just liquid i mean essentially if we want to like make it sound cool that's basically what's going on um yeah it's very interesting another thing though that i hope this doesn't become is I hope that like en entities or like companies or even like everyday people kind of use this as an excuse like let's just like continue on with our lives and pretend nothing is going on and just fully rely on these machines like that's a little bit of a problem because um, even if we are able to make them much more innovative and effective um, through like this new emerging field it's not the only way uh, to reduce, you know, like emissions, and that's going to be a problem. Um, so it's like one of the many tools in a um, in a toolkit that can be used. Definitely. It's about like not only finding these solutions, but also changing the mindset of people who think that, oh, we can get away with this when we really can't long term. Um, and speaking of uh, things that we hope this project would accomplish. I'm hoping that it is not a quick short-term project. I know a lot of these solutions are sometimes very new, innovative, um, and people get really excited and then the project stops 10 years later and we've pretty much made no progress. So it'd be good if we can definitely stay committed to a solution um, while also educating people on you know, how not to worsen uh, the situation that we're in right now. Yeah, that's true. I feel, I feel like some people are just going to like drop it. Like It's like, all right, it's not cool anymore. <laughs> that's yeah. not going to be good. And unfortunately, that's not just an issue with climate change science, but a lot of different types of science as well. Biology, chemistry, physics, people want new and exciting things when sometimes you just have to stick with one thing and really um, make progress on it. Yeah, there's actually a lot of examples with that, like um, one that comes to mind. Uh, yeah, kind of STEM related is Hyperloop. If you guys have heard of that, this like really fancy concept to travel 700 miles uh, per hour from like LA to San Francisco or, you know, some, some distance that would normally take an hour by airplane or like seven hours by train or by car and reduce that to like an hour in Hyperloop. So like same time as airplane, but you're traveling like kind of in a train it's like in a closed um tube that you just go at really fast speeds not having to check in at an airport 
all that. But number one, how how do you make that like a project that can actually reach its goals of 700 miles? I think, yeah, I agree that that plays into this carbon capture field and conversation. Yeah, it has to be scalable. And um, hopefully these carbon capture uh would it be considered machines, innovation? I'm not really sure, but hopefully it'll play out well in the long term. That's definitely a fascinating idea. Yeah, actually there's a lot of other like different machinery um, that's being developed right now. One of them is like, or not, not machinery, but just experiments in really complicated uh, settings of machinery. Where I'm going with this is I'm kind of thinking of like astronomy and um, when we think of the International Space Station or like a Falcon 9 rocket or a really advanced piece of like spacecraft or even unmanned uh, spacecraft or something, our mind goes to like the, 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 the fuel and um, the thrusters and the boosters may be needed to... Uh, you know, lift objects into orbit, take them out of orbit, um, take boosters like SpaceX is doing and making them uh, reusable for other missions, uh, taking them back to Earth. But there's a lot more things that you can do with astronomy, actually. And one thing that has been done recently and that I think has a lot more potential is conducting like experiments in the International Space Station. And so what has been done um, in the past couple decades, it's not it's not new at all, is growing a bunch of leaf varieties, um, and you know where this could go in the future, potentially new species of of plants and leafy greens and flowers, um, to see how those environments like in space might differ to be able to grow those foods, or might stay the same. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? <laughs> Um, that's actually a really cool field. And I remember watching a Netflix show. I'm completely am blanking on the name. I think it's Space Race or something like that. It actually stars Steve Carell for all of those Office fans out there. Um, but it's a really funny show. And they actually, in one episode, talked about something called a lunar habitat. And um, in this habitat that they were kind of running simulations in, uh, they grew a lot of potatoes, a whole lot of potatoes. And it was kind of just seeing how agriculture would fare in space. Um, but it was also just an interesting experience to see, you know, like genetic breeding and um, how our astronauts, astronauts and people um, on the space station can maybe even grow their own food. So definitely nutrition and agriculture can play into astronomy. And it's kind of cool how those uh, seemingly, you know, Feel a uh, field that's seemingly very um, not land oriented can have that aspect. Of yeah. Oh, overall, it's, yeah, it sounds really cool, especially like it's the space aspect of it, because I think like you know space is something that doesn't really get explored as much. And even though like a lot of research has been done on it, it's like you know having that sort of like interdisciplinary field is definitely really it's really cool, honestly. I think there's also another um, aspect to this, not just of um, like plants, but also like diets and maybe even dis like, uh, you know, cures to diseases and conditions. Because, for example, if we can take a treatment or a pesticide or um, a, a plant um, 
and and explore with that in space if we can do that first and like get it perfected in a space environment maybe you can just take that onto earth and then it's like perfect so like your f, f effectiveness rate is uh say 70 percent on the iss then maybe you'll be 85 percent on earth why would we do that why would we first do clinical trials on a space station before earth i don't know maybe like in a hundred years people will find reason for that but there's like interesting um things that can be done for health i think and and like a nutrition um outlook that can lead to potentially new new fields in the future um now i've been talking a lot about like what i think the future might look like i'm interested to hear what you you guys think might appeal for different STEM fields? I mean, I can just go. Um, dude, something that I'm like really interested in is seeing like how cloning is going to develop, right? So, you know, because like obviously, like I think that the process of it is kind of like it's getting perfected a lot. And, you know, so I'm like really hyped to see a Jurassic Park in the future. I think that is something that I will for sure pay heavy money for. But uh, yeah, on a more serious note though, it's going to like obviously take a lot of moderation. So what I would think is like, we'd probably have another job basically about like, I guess moderation of both moderation and regulation of, you know, kind of like the results of cloning. Let's say if there is a big dinosaur theme park, like they're going to need to check out like, and see like if the cloning had any, you know, adverse effects on it. And, you know, if they need to go back to the drawing board with, you know, the cloning process, let's say like an animal is like born diseased, like you need to be able to figure that out. But yeah, you guys interested in that type of stuff? Um, I think it's super cool. And I actually remember, this is giving me flashbacks to one of our first podcast sessions. Um, but I remember, Gordon, you were talking about Dolly and the sheep and cloning. And I was like, wow, this is a really interesting field that is kind of really far-fetched and, you know, sci-fi. and reminds me a lot of sci-fi. Um, but it's becoming a reality really quickly. Um, and I definitely think it's possible. Um, but as you said, like, to be able to regulate it and um, find some sort of moderation, um, ethical, you know, that's what bioethics is. I think that would be really interesting how it ties into cloning, because it is a very interesting topic, that's for sure. Dude, and it's for sure cool, dude. I mean, I would pay so much money to see a dinosaur, just like, just out of the blue thought right there. I can't. I... I have faith in humanity that we won't bring back the dinosaurs because then maybe that will like cause a whole food chain crisis, but that would be pretty cool. Um, what I was going to say, actually, Mana kind of hit it on the spot was like bioethics and moderation, especially if this is being done with like pets or, or humans, like people are going to have like a larger conversation about that. Like, no, it's an it's a very interesting uh, idea. Like, can we moderate uh, people because they're cloned, and then the other people don't need to be like you know intensely um, uh, put under surveillance? It's an interesting thought because maybe there's like side effects of cloning that require surveillance, but are like companies or government entities gonna abuse those powers? Are people gonna feel like? their their defining identity is that they were cloned like there's a lot of interesting more ethical even maybe philosophical questions about that rather than like stem uh technical questions but it's very interesting there's a lot of different ways you can go about that 
Yeah. So um, one field that I personally am very interested in is computational biology. And I remember Andrea told me, hey, guys, for this podcast session, think of some fun interdisciplinary fields. And this was the first one that kind of came to my mind, um, partly because, number one, it's a very hot field right now. But also it's very interesting because we have so much biological data out there. Um, we don't know we know almost nothing about the body, but we have all this information that we get from clinical trials and experiments. Um, and how do we kind of digest that information? That's what computational biology is. Um, so, you know, mapping neurons, like seeing how they talk to each other, um, how that kind of externally uh, affects our behavior. Um, it's just a very interesting field. And those of us who are interested in biology and computer science, um, kind of go nuts at, uh, at this, this uh, topic. So, yeah. Sure. Could you repeat that? So, like, you were talking about like bioinformatics stuff or something? Yeah. You know, so, it sounds like really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, actually, uh, thanks, Gordon, for bringing it up. But bioinformatics is very similar to computational biology. So, bioinformatics is kind of gathering the data and being able to visualize it. And then computational biology is finding patterns in that data uh, using gotcha. programming and software. So um, it's definitely very cool. All of the visualizations that we can see, like uh, those cool graphics that we can see online of proteins and how um, cells interact with each other. A lot of that is actually determined by computer modeling and simulations, which is pretty much what the field does. I'm curious, actually. Oh, okay, that sounds pretty nice. I'm I'm curious if um, like computational biology or bioinformatics, um, overlaps with um, like oh, what's the word? Whenever whenever there's um drug development, um, so like I guess in pharmacology fields or there's another word I can't think of, um, but like do you know if computational biology? um can measure like drug to drug interactions or like potential conflicts there that's also another really interesting point because um computational biology is very theoretical you know in wet labs you do actual experiments you know you mix chemicals together it's very um hands-on type work for computational biology it's uh you can almost model a simulation so you can as andre said take two drugs and somehow simulate how they will interact with each other using a uh, software such as like docking softwares where you can take a molecule and see how it interacts with another one um, even though you have pretty much no idea how it might act in reality um, which is also very cool and it's a very novel way to um, you know develop drug therapeutics and potentially find a lot of solutions for a lot of problems um, and when Gordon was talking about cloning, I was thinking, oh, this is something that could definitely be done via computational biology, or at least streamlined via this field. So, yeah. Because yeah, you said, like, computational biology is, like, you're trying to, like, find, like, patterns or, like, right? So, yeah, yeah, that, and that makes sense. Because, like, I was thinking, like, if there are, like, patterns between, like, animals, like, that does make cloning a lot easier. Especially, like, if you have, like, if you can, like, source a genome it's just easy like that yeah and it doesn't even have to be molecular biology computational biology could be modeling like population changes 
um, and more on a you know zoology note, you know you can uh, map how animal populations might change over time. You can model it via a function that um, computational biology might be able to give you and predict how, let's say, deer populations might be affected by um, wolf populations or stuff like that in zoos. So it's it's very interesting and it's not all molecular. Yeah. I feel like the ability to like model these things for whatever it is, cloning or drug to drug interactions or um, any molecule interactions, regardless of what it is, it's like a bridge between theoretical and like actual, um, like a physical outcome of something, which I think can help, you know, scientific innovation. Because when you're able to model something and show the masses, like, here's a pattern, here's the data, here's a model that shows that data and patterns, I think that helps like fund programs and um, help them, like, you know come to reality rather than just a concept so i think that that's a really important part of the future yeah definitely it really helps with um communicating science to the public and those who might not necessarily understand like the very complicated science jargon so um that's a another another really great way uh that computational biology has helped us all out yeah i'd be really interested honestly to learn like how it's helped us in the past because that would be um interesting to learn something i'd encourage any listeners to to um look up if they're you know curious about that um do we have any other stem topics hmm. i'm not sure entirely if this is like kind of like a newer one i think it is because you know maybe previous studies haven't been done on it but it's anthrozoology which is kind of like basically the study of like pets if you will and it's we're all we're all that's happening is basically like we're studying kind of like the relationships that like animals and humans have especially like like um within modern day society so you're you're not we're not talking about the wilderness i'm just talking about like hey like like kind of like the social aspect and as well as you know the hu human aspect of uh the effects that animal has especially on domestic life but uh yeah that one's uh you guys i'm not entirely sure about that though so well I have an idea of like how it, in the future it will become and more like a, a new and emerging field. If you take anthozoology and you combine that with cloning, like how does a cloned human or a cloned sheep react with a regular sheep? That would be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, dude. I think that is kind of where it comes into play. And like, and I guess it also could serve to like, within a broader sense, like, you know, how do you domesticate like animals like nearly instantly? If that is if that's a field that people are willing to pursue in the future, I think that's that holds a lot of promise. And I know Gordon, when the moment you said like human and animal interactions on a domestic scale, the first thing I thought of was how much I've been wanting a dog ever since I was young. And um, like I've read so many articles about how uh, human and animal interactions in a domestic setting can actually really help out like the psychology of a human and, you know, that has some great benefits that, uh, that those interactions have. So that's what I thought of when I thought of anthropology. Um, it's like, how, how, how do interactions between humans and pets um, play into, you know, our behavior? 
I think that's also pretty interesting. I mean, I was mostly thinking, how can I domesticate like a crocodile or something? <laughs> I want a pet like that. Gordon's going so. big game. <laughs> we all see that. You know, yeah, Gordon, if you end up getting yourself a crocodile, just get me a llama and I'll be good. I'll be set. I really dude, want to. Dude. So, yeah, if there are any scientists out there, can you like figure that part out, please? <laughs> no, actually, it's your task, Gordon. God, what if, I mean, depend, all right, hopefully, hopefully, the careers line up and everything. I'll for sure do that. Um, actually, in, uh, it doesn't really relate. I, I'm not going to try to fake my, my transition to it, but another, um, emerging fields that I thought is coming more into light, especially in the past two years, um, has been the transition between occupational health and mental health. Um, for starters, occupational health is generally um, the term, the umbrella term used for the professionals um, that someone will refer to um, when they are in a work setting. Um, so, for example, if you have an injury or dispute, or um, I've even heard like some some cases where like if you are in a um, toxic um, setting, namely like like toxic materials or toxic like pollutants, like if you worked at an oil place or something and you were exposed to some dangerous chemical. Um, it can go a lot of different directions, but generally what I think will be interesting to see with occupational health um, is how that connects more with uh, mental health because in the past two years we've seen how like different current events can impact like a work environment and how the work environment changes. Um, those occupational um, health professionals also need to be ready to like adapt to how their um, you know connections or advice on mental health changes because if someone goes from you know an in-person work setting to just online um, and then they're given the same resources for mental health I don't think it's like necessarily the best um, scenario so I don't know what are you guys' thoughts um yeah overall I think it is like probably best to like have some sort of bridge between them because like as I said both mental and occupational health are kind of like different so it, it does require a lot of effort to kind of like make a connection between those and I think that yeah that is definitely going to be a challenge. And um, you were talking about like occupational health uh, I don't know how many of you guys have heard of this organization called uh, OSHA it's like the occupational um, oh sorry O-S-H. Shoot, wait, actually, actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think it's OSHA. If I, is it, it's OSHA, right? O-S, it, it stands for Occupational Safety of Health Administration. Health Administration, okay, okay. Because I found this good article that, like, can combine AI and occupational health, so I'm just going to... O-S-H-A, so it stands for Occupational uh, Safety and Health Administration. Um, and... This organization is pretty much just um, helping keep workers in factories and other in-person environments safe and protected. And um, I think the interesting thing is that a lot of these workers are actually being replaced with robots. And um, uh, the automation of tasks through like the use of robots um, 
are removing these workers from potentially like hazardous or unsafe environments. Um, so I thought it was also kind of cool how AI has played a role, AI and robotics has played a role in um, facilitating uh, like occupational health standards, if that makes any sense. Um, and speaking of AI, uh, it's also a really great emerging field that a lot of today's youth are be, like really interested in. Um, if you ask almost any hardcore computer scientists um, what they plan on doing in the future, it usually involves the answer of, oh, I am super interested in AIML and I've taken several three to four courses on Coursera for it. Um, and AIML is definitely a really cool field because it's revolutionizing the way that uh, we as humans um, interact with computers um, and how computers interact with us. So I guess one really cool example is GPT-3. Um, it's a really cool software. It's a language processing software that basically uh, can write an entire article just that, that mimics your writing style um, just with a little bit of training data. And it's really great because if you don't wanna write an essay for your English class, you just tell this software to do it, it'll do it. It'll sound like you and not your best friend who's you know, a great writer. Um, so yeah, it's a great software and it does have potential for spreading misinformation and doing some not so great things. But I just think that there are so many examples in AI that are super cool, super in innovative, and also kind of sci-fi-y almost. Um, but yeah, another really cool topic. What do you guys yeah. think about AI? Well, what was that called? GTP3? Was that right? Yeah, super close. GPT3. GPT3. Okay. It, it, if it was GTP3, I think that's the name of a, a protein or like a molecule thing. Um, Anyways, um, I think it's really interesting. It reminds me of like next decade's Grammarly, maybe. Like, no, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need um, people to write essays anymore, which is a bit of a interesting idea. But I think there was like practical applications. Like when you're working, um, maybe not necessarily studying, but when you're working and you need to like type something up really quickly and send it to someone. Like, especially think about in emergency scenarios, I guess, like there are like documents, like formal things that need to be sent out really quickly. And instead of having people frantically working behind the scenes to get things done, maybe AI can take over um, those situations. I, I don't know if that's the exact application you were talking about for it, but I imagine that that's something it would, it could go towards. Um, it seems- No, definitely. Yeah, using AI to do these tasks for us is very cool, but also a double-edged sword. So we should be pretty careful. Um, this is where ethics comes into STEM. Uh, again, very important uh, interdisciplinary field for those of you interested. Right. I mean, yeah, as long as it's not cheating. <laughs> it's like you said that we can just have like AI do our tests or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting field that hopefully gets developed in the future. So yeah, overall, like dude, a lot of these in fields are really interesting and it also provides a lot of new jobs for people to try out for. And it's like, I think it overall, it's gonna be really helpful for the future for all of us to kind of just be able to delve into these topics. 
So yeah, again, thank you guys all so much for listening to all of our voices today. It's been a pleasure to have this podcast today. Thank you all very much. See you guys you. next time. Bye. Bye.